This is the Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Kelly. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we talk about the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, I'm joined by none other than Joe Nocera, columnist for Bloomberg Opinion, host of the mega hit, soon to be a movie podcast, The Shrink Next Door. It was literally the number one podcast last year. He's also the author, and this is why I wanted to talk to him, of Indentured, The Battle to End the Exploitation of College Athletes, as well as All the Devils Are Here, The Hidden History of the Financial Crisis, and other books. He's always got a hot take. So, Joe knows Sarah, first of all, so excited to talk to you. The magic of modern technology uh, brings us together. I love hanging out with you in the studio, but this is the, the next best thing. You know, when I was trying to figure out what happens next, especially when it relates to college sports, there you were on the Bloomberg with your column, Coronavirus May Make College Sports Sane Again. Very optimistic for a, a guy like you who's followed this so closely. Tell me what you were thinking about. <laughs> yeah, I'm optimistic. They'll run out of money and come to their senses. Um, <laughs> uh, here's, um, here's what I think could happen. Uh, a lot depends, of course, on... Uh, how much belt tightening universities have to do, and and and, uh, but but number one, uh, the minimum requirement for a Division One school is to have 16 teams. That's an NCAA rule, 16 teams, and obviously it's supposed to be more or less evenly divided between uh, women te- women's teams and men's teams. But um, but it's an arbitrary number, you know, that the NCAA has imposed and school, a, a, a conference, entire conferences have gone to the NCAA and said, look, you know, can you at least temporarily waive this rule? And the NCAA said, no, uh, but, you know, we'll grant individual waivers if certain schools come to us and we think, you know, you deserve to go under 16. Well, I mean... That's ridiculous that the NCAA should have the power to tell schools that are going to be in a terrible financial bind because of the pandemic, you know, how many teams they can have. So, you know, my hope, number one, is that uh, as we get through this uh, stage, uh, the schools will just say, you know, we're going to do what we need to do and the NCAA can just stuff it. uh, Although the, the, the signs so far are not good. Here you have the University of Akron which is in terrible, terrible trouble. It's, uh, it, 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 it's losing so much money that they eliminated six, six of their 11 academic colleges. So the majority. Right. And then they said, well, we're going to make major cuts in our sports division too, in our, in our athletic program. And what did they do? They cut three minor sports to go from 19 to 16. In other words, they, they didn't have the nerve to make the major cut that would defy the NCAA uh, on, how many, on how many teams they could have, which is crazy if you're in that much, if you're in that much financial trouble. Um, so that's, that's, that's point number one. Point number two is, you know, Ohio State is not going to be hurt by this pandemic right. uh, more, more than temporarily. But the Eastern Michigans and the Kent States and, and the uh, historically black colleges, they're going to be they're going to be clobbered um, in, in, in their athletic departments, which don't have that much money to begin with and which they have long been trying to play, play with the big boys, you know, and, and, and 
when, when uh, for instance, when the big schools, when the Power Five schools got the ability to pay uh, athletes for what's called, um, gosh, I can't even remember what it's called, but it's a differential. It's a differential between what college costs and what their scholarship gives. Right. So they're, they get a check for six or $7,000 a year or something like that. So, you know, the little schools have been doing that too. They can't afford to do that. So what I was kind of hoping is that the financial... Uh, uh, devastation uh, wrought by this pandemic will cause the smaller schools to say, you know what, we're just not going to compete in football with Notre Dame anymore. It doesn't make any sense. We're going to downscale. We're going to change the way we do business. Um, we're going to regionalize our, our smaller sports so that the tennis team isn't flying from West Virginia to Texas for a match, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, so there's all these things that could be done that would be still allow for athletics, still allow for competition, um, still allow for the fans and the student body to be excited, but they're not trying to play with Michigan and Ohio State. And it would be a much more sensible way to conduct athletics. And, you know, and it's, it's funny, you know, I started off by saying it, it's optimistic and, um, and, and it is to some extent. I'll stand by that to, to, the, to the extent that this presupposes something that I think almost everyone agrees with, which is this system is messed up. It is broken. And, you know, I go back to your book, which is just fantastic, Indentured, The Battle to End the Exploitation of College Athletes. I mean, this is not new in many ways. The dysfunction, to put it kindly, of the of the NCAA. And yet, as you just pointed out, the power is still tremendous for the NCAA. Are there any beyond coronavirus? Are there any cracks here, or is it consolidating power? Well, no, no, there are there are definitely cracks. Um, uh, they're not coming from where you might think. I mean, right. it, unfortunately, it's not coming from university presidents who ostensibly, you know, control the NCAA, although they really don't. It's coming from state legislatures, yeah. right? So, so the biggest crack, obviously, is uh, the name, image, and likeness legislation that is sweeping through the country, one state after another, where uh, athletes will be allowed to take advantage of their own name, their own likeness, and their own image, which they should have been able to do for decades. And they'll be able to sign, and sign autographs and have endorsements and do commercials and all that sort of thing. Um, that is a huge crack. And uh, the NCAA has, you know, realizes that it cannot fight this anymore mm -hmm. so what's it's try what it's trying to do right now is control it it's trying to come up with its own set of guidelines that will allow it to sort of remain in charge of this aspect of college sports i don't know whether they'll succeed because they've lost so much um juice uh they're just they're, they're not really a believable organization anymore and uh, you know, state legislature just saying, you know, the hell with you. We're not going to sit around and wait for you guys to, to come up with your own rules. We're going to pass our rules. And, you know, if you don't like it, sue us. Um, now, the, now the NCAA is going to the federal government and hoping they can get an antitrust exemption. But right. I don't think that's going to I don't think that's going to happen either, because for the same reason, you know, Congress, they used to have a lot of clout in Congress. They don't have any right now. Yeah. So are you going back to this theme of optimism? Are you optimistic that we could see structural changes in the NCAA given everything that's going on? 
Well, it, the structural changes in the way that I suggest, which is that you'll wind up with, I mean, if, if things went right, you'd wind up with 64 or 65 major football powers mm -hmm. concentrated in the Power Five conferences and maybe a few other schools, right? That makes sense, okay? Because what Ohio State does and USC does and UCLA does, that, that, that's, that's not college sports. That's major American entertainment. You know, it's a, it's a multi-billion dollar business. It's untouchable. Yeah. And you'll also, you'll have probably maybe 150, 160 schools that have the ability to field a decent Division I basketball team because basketball is a lot cheaper than football. So a school like Providence College or, or Holy Cross, they could, they could have Division I basketball without having a football team or, you know, and, and but, but everything else could be, would be you know, downgraded a little bit so that you're spending less money and you're regionalizing it. That's hugely important because so much money gets spent on travel. Right. So much, so much class time gets wasted because they're on airplanes. And, and the conference realignment has really made a mess uh, of regionalization. And you need to recapture, like for tennis, for golf, for, um, for field hockey, for any sport other than basketball and football, you need to regionalize. It right. just, it just, there's nothing else. Make, and, and they all know it. They all know it. They all know what an imposition it is for the students. And they all know how much money it costs and money that they don't really have right now. So right. The, 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 the structural change is that. The structural change is not you know, paying the players, which of course I've advocated for a decade. But, um, but, you know, you take one, cross one bridge at a time. Right, right. Yeah, it is sort of bonkers. Uh, I know enough to be dangerous about college lacrosse. And, you know, the fact that Denver uh, is in the Big East uh, sort of is, is uh, hard, to, hard to get your uh, head around. I, I, didn't even, I didn't even know that, but that's a hilarious fact. It's crazy. Um, yeah. So when you talk about college athletics, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you about too, because candidly it, it is a subject around my dinner table, having a, a junior in high school who's looking to play in colleges, this whole question of eligibility. And, and I wonder how much you've thought about that extending eligibility, given the pandemic. I mean, does that affect sort of the economics? Does it affect the recruiting? How does that play through in your estimation, knowing uh, NCAA sports the way you do? Well, uh, it does. And that's why the NCAA, with the exception of, um, I'm trying to think what sport. Uh, oh, the spring sports. Okay. So athletes who play in the spring sports are being given another semester or year of eligibility. Right. Uh, I'm pretty sure, the seniors uh, especially. But they're not doing that for the fall sports. I mean, they're basically saying this is a one-time only thing. Yeah. And um, it will, I mean, because they don't play football or basketball in the spring, it will have a pretty minor effect uh, on, on the economics of college sports because most of the athletes um, in the spring sports either get no scholarship or they get a partial scholarship. Right. And, you know, baseball only has, I think, 11 scholarships for the entire team, so they divvy it up. Right. Interesting. Um, so when you think about everything else that's sort of going on uh, in the world. And, you know, you have written about the financial crisis. You've written about so many different things. You know, I love talking to you about sports. Um, you know, you go back, you and I have talked on our Business Week program before about 
Boone Pickens and on all of those things. You've covered business for so long. How are you thinking about business overall changing uh, in the course of recovery, we hope, from this pandemic? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I think big business won't be harmed all that much. I mean, it's, it's, they're taking a hit right now, but they can afford it. They can, they can, they can handle it. Um, but small business is going to be devastated, devastated. I predict that when New York finally reopens, you know, maybe half or less of the of the city's restaurants will survive. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all those little shops, I mean, people aren't going to do boutique shopping for a while and they're going to be afraid to go into stores and, you know, you know, you know, Amazon is going to do great. And, and uh, I mean, I don't even know how many cars people are going to want to buy in the short term because um, they're not driving around as much. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I, I think I mean, I think we're going to have a huge, huge economic downturn because of this lock, because of the way we've handled this virus with with the with the lockdown, and with basically shutting down the country. Um, I'm not, I'm not optimistic about yeah. this. Um, you know, I think if you're IBM, you'll be fine. If you're Xerox, you'll be fine. If you're um, you know, Amazon, you'll be fine. But if you're if you're the if if you're Danny Myers. If you're Danny Meyer and you have the, you know, these, these, half, these dozen high-end restaurants all around New York and elsewhere, you got a big problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting to, to think about, to go back to the colleges for a second, this notion of exactly what you said, not just from a sports perspective, but from a college perspective. If you are a big, wealthy institution, higher educational institution, you're probably going to be okay. But there are going to be colleges that just straight up go out of business here, right? There are going to be some... Okay, so here's what's happening in the college. It's funny you should mention that because I just wrote something about that for Business Week. Um, oh, we're getting a preview. I like it. Okay, so, so colleges depend on tuition, obviously. Colleges know that students and parents hate online learning. Right. And they had to do it this semester because they had no choice. But they are not going to start the fall, most schools with um with online learning and you're already seeing it a number of purdue's announced they're going to open boston college has announced it notre dame has announced it columbia has announced it schools are going to open their campuses and they might do some social distancing and wearing of masks and that sort of thing but they are going to open their campuses because they can't afford to lose that tuition and so uh if if all the schools open the number of failures might be fairly small, but any school that says we're going to start the fall with online learning is risking going out of business because all the, the students are all going to take a gap year. Yeah. And they won't have any tuition. And, and you know, like Purdue, you know, this was, I didn't quite realize that. Purdue's, Purdue's revenue, total revenue, is $1.9 billion. Of that amount, they get $1.3 billion from tuition. Holy smokes. So no wonder they, they're going to open the yeah. campus. What choice do they have? And, you know, it's another, it's a really interesting uh, example of uh, a institutions weighing the risk-reward calculation. So is there a risk there could be an outbreak of COVID? Yeah, sure there is. But they have to take that risk if they want to remain uh, alive. Yeah. 
And so what does that do for sports? I mean, let's bring it back to sports. I mean, is, right. are we going to see college football this year in some we, form or fashion? I believe we are. Um, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but Mike Pence had a uh, meeting maybe three weeks ago, maybe a month ago with um, uh, various conference commissioners. And he said, we have to have football. We have to have football in the fall. The country needs it. And the commissioners basically said, look, if we don't have students on campus, we are not going to have football. We are not going to have the football team being the only students on the campus. That would just be, you know, <laughs> that, would, that, would, that would move the hypocrisy meter up by right. about 500%. <laughs> so, but, but now you see schools are going back. Yeah. And so I think what I think, I think is the likeliest scenario is that Instead of starting the football practices in early August, they'll start it later. And they might push the season back two or three weeks as well. Yeah. Um, just, to, just to try to get the virus, um, you know, try to see if it's really dampened down. Um, but I do, I do strongly believe that we'll see football. With fans in the stands or no? Probably not. Yeah. At least not at first. Right. Um, or you could limit the fans, you know, one every third seat or four seat, which is also kind of weird. Right, right, yeah. But, you know, it's almost a sure thing that um, if basketball starts up again this year, there won't be any fans in the stand. There's a lot of pressure for that to happen. Right, right. And so what do you make of the sort of all the pro sports uh, debating sort of how and when to come back? I mean, we're obviously all watching baseball to to a large extent. Those of us of a certain age who, you know, still watch baseball, although I feel like when I talk to people 15, 20 years younger than me, it, it's almost like talking to them about cricket. But we'll set that aside for, for another time. But, you know, Major League Baseball, NBA, you know, still wants to finish its season, National Football League. Uh, still talking about doing something. How does this work out? Well, um, in football, especially, uh, you could you you can economically you can justify economically playing with no no people in the stands right. because the television revenue is so huge. Um, so you know they might not be as profitable as they have been. It might even be a break-even operation without fans, but they could do it. Um, baseball is a much tougher situation because baseball, although they do have a national contract, um, so much of baseball is, is built around regional um, sports, uh, television, and yeah. there's not the same amount of money, and they're much more dependent on the gate. So right. for baseball to have empty stands, yes, they could do it, but it would be much more of a hardship uh, than it would be for football. But, you know, they're all talking about it, and they're all trying to figure this out. And what they're really all hoping is that by the end of the summer, you know, most vestiges of the virus will have gone away. Right. Um, I don't know if that'll happen or not. And, and the one thing I've learned about viruses as I've been reading and, and, and writing about it is they come in waves. So just because it ends in August doesn't mean it's not going to come back with a fury in October. Right. Uh, and then we'll really see what happens. Right, right. How's this been for you, personally? Like, oh, I, you're still out in the, I'm, in, I'm, on I'm Long I'm Island? To, I'm afraid to say, um, because it's actually been fine. Yeah. Uh, I'm, one of, I'm one of the lucky ones. I've got a place in, in Southampton. My son seems to be enjoying, um, you know, he gets to play with his friends on Fortnite every, every night and, and, and to FaceTime with them and, 
He gets to play basketball at the court next door and, and play with the dog in the backyard. And my wife and I are able to get a lot of work done. So right. no problems. And I'm eating better because my wife has been cooking up a storm. Well, that's good. <laughs> All right. So you said next door. You said uh, Southampton. So that gives me a natural bridge uh, into the shrink next door. Uh, for those of you who apparently weren't sentient last year uh, and listening to podcasts, it was the number one podcast last year. The Shrink Next Door, coming soon to a screen near you. Give us an update on Marty and Ira. Okay, so um, number one, uh, the hearings uh, about Ike, whether Ike should lose his license or not have been put on hold because of the coronavirus, sadly. Um, so that's just in abeyance. Uh, number two, we're working on a final episode, which I believe will air in mid-June. So mm. that, that's, happen- that's happening right now. Just kind of updating everybody to what's happened and talking about all the other patients that I met and came in contact with after the, after the uh, podcast came out and sort of catching up on Marty and his life. Um, and number three, you know, uh, the, the, the shrink has been bought by Apple TV. And Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd are going to play the main characters, and it's very, very Marty and Ira, respectively. Right? Ike, 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 Marty. Why and did Ike, I say yes. Ira? Jesus, yes. I've, I've listened to it eight hundred thousand times. All right, <laughs> I'm going to go back and fix that in post. But go ahead, Marty and Ike. Okay. Um, so Marty, uh, yes, Marty's going to be played by Will Ferrell, and uh, Ike is going to be played by Paul Rudd, and. Um, and I've had several meetings, uh, Zoom meetings with the writers, and Marty's had a meeting with the Zoom meeting with the writers, and Phyllis is at a, his sister is at a meeting with the writers, yeah. so everybody's happy. Did you ever expect that this was going to be what it was? I thought it was going to, I tell you, I didn't think it was going to be that big, but yeah. um, I got to tell you, in the 10 years since I lived in this house and Marty was my next door neighbor, Every time I would tell this story to somebody, their jaws would drop. Yeah. And so I knew that it had this inherent fascination and drama, and I thought it would do well. I didn't think it would be what it is. I mean, I did, I did not think that. But, but you know, I'm a, I'm a confident guy. I, yeah. You know? <laughs> but why do you it think it did? Shot. Why do you think it was such a light? I mean, beyond the the story, I mean, the story is incredibly compelling. And you and I have talked about this right. a lot before. But like, what was it that just hit? Is it just this moment that we, I mean, we're living in a different moment now. But the moment that we were living in, what was it? Well, I think one thing is that millions upon millions of people have been in therapy. Mm-hmm. And how many times have you ever read something or seen something about a real-life therapist interacting with a patient for good or ill? Never. Yeah. Never. Right. And so I think there was a fascination just because it was a psychiatrist and because there was manipulation involved. And, 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 and yes, it was a compelling story. But I also think the other reason is that all until the shrink came along, every true crime story that you saw on a podcast involved a murder. And this was the first one where nobody got killed. Yeah. It really was, in addition to being about a psychiatrist, it was a very psychological drama that engaged you in a different way than, you know, how do we catch the killer? Right. 
Right. And I think that had a lot to do with it. So how do you follow up the shrink next door, Joe? Um, I, 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 I have an answer to that, but I'm not allowed to tell you because, or, or the digital team at Bloomberg would kill me. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Well, that's a good tease for what's next. Um, really good to catch up with you. Thank you so much. I, it was one of these moments where as I was reading around everything going on, uh, in the world, Yours is a take that I just wanted to get, especially uh, knowing all the work you've done around the NCAA and, and the importance of that conversation. So really grateful for your time, Joe Nocera. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure as always. That's Joe Nocera, columnist for Bloomberg Opinion, author, podcaster, and as he said, can't wait for the movie adaptation of The Shrink Next Door starring Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd. If you haven't listened to that podcast, you got to listen to it before you watch the movie. Well, in terms of sports, we're here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again this weekend. We're going to talk health and wellness, fitness with the CEOs of Planet Fitness and Equinox. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online wherever you get your podcasts.